Hi everyone, it's me, Kirk Monroe, um, re reporting to you all on a Thursday evening with another 101 podcast session of The Mighty Fitz, The Sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald by Michael Schumacher. Well, it's uh, good to be back on the air. Um, yesterday and um, later in the afternoon today after I got off work, I um, finished um, working up uh, tonight's uh, podcast uh, session in regards to what we're going to be talking about. And we've got a lot of um, essential ground to cover. So um, be prepared and um, enjoy the ride. So what do we want to start off with? Well, as we all know, all ships, whether it's a Royal Caribbean cruise liner or famous ships like Titanic and Lusitania, of course, the Edmund Fitzgerald and any other laker on the Great Lake all have a captain. Well, besides there being a ship captain, what other titles and ranks did other crew members have aboard the Edmund Fitzgerald? There were a total of 29 men who were a part of the Fitzgerald's uh, final um, boat ride, or should I say a boat ride that ended uh, tragically. Of course, that will be talked more about in another podcast down the road, but given that there are 29 men, and of course you have your ship captain, what other titles and ranks did the other 28 men have aboard the Fitzgerald? Well, there's a variety of different ranks. You have the first, second, and third mates, who are right below that of the captain. You had your first to second and third assistant engineers. Of course, there was the chief engineer. You had a porter. You had a maintenance repair man, even a special maintenance um, person as well who could do more than just the 101 stuff. You had a watchman. You had a wiper. You had a wheelsman. You had uh, first and second cooks or who were referred to as stewards. You had a, a cadet a deckhand to an oiler. Uh, you know, all 29, or I should say all 28 men below uh, Captain Ernest McSorley are playing a vital role. Or not just a vital role, they're all playing vital roles. They all have duties to perform. Everybody's got to look after one another. They, we all have to work together as a team. This cannot be an I'm I, me, myself mission. It's all about us, we, ourselves, and how we're going to get this job done. Um, because, you know, it's one thing to, um, to tend to the maintenance of the ship, but when the ship is out on the water, everybody's got to do their part. After all, the Fitzgerald is transporting um, taconite pellets, and being an iron ore freighter, she is traveling from say, Superior, Wisconsin to Detroit, Michigan. She's going even as far south as to uh, Toledo, Ohio. The bottom line is the Fitzgerald has, um, has missions to, to perform and goods have to be um, sent to people. Not, well, not just people. They have to be sent to steel mills. They have to be sent to uh, facilities that are needing the natural resources that the Fitzgerald will bring. So, um, basically, to sum it up in a nutshell, everyone from the lowest to the highest ranking positions have a vital role to, to play in ensuring that the Fitzgerald herself 
achieves 100% perfection at all times when navigating up and down Lake Superior and to other great lakes as well. Obviously, if the Fitzgerald is making her way into Toledo, Ohio, Toledo is uh, part of what's uh, Lake Erie. Uh, I would have no doubts that the Fitzgerald did travel along Lake Huron. Um, I don't have know of any um, particular dates or times that she did travel on Lake Huron, but there's a very good likelihood that she did, and the same for uh, Lake Michigan as well. Now, what is uh, important about November 9th of 1970, or yes, November 9th of 1975? Well, the Edmund Fitzgerald is at the Burlington Northern Railroad Dock in Superior, Wisconsin. If anybody knows where Superior, Wisconsin is, it borders uh, Minnesota. It is Superior, Wisconsin is in the northwesternmost part of Wisconsin, and Duluth, Minnesota is right on that line. Uh, Duluth is well north of Minneapolis. I would say that Duluth is in um, northeastern Minnesota, but in the furthest point you could probably go in the north, in terms of uh, the northeasternmost part of that state. So basically, Minnesota and Wisconsin bordering one another. Um, Duluth, Minnesota is at the westernmost edge of Lake Superior. So the Fitzgerald is in Superior, Wisconsin, and she's only going to be there for a short period of time that is at the Northern Railroad Dock. The previous week, though, the Fitzgerald herself had sailed from Toledo, Ohio to Silver Bay, Minnesota. The Silver Bay, Minnesota port is roughly 50 miles north of Superior, um, Wisconsin. Well, I guess I must, I, I guess I need to correct myself that, uh, so, that uh, Silver Bay is um, further north of uh, Duluth, and that Duluth is not the furthest point in uh, northeastern Minnesota. So I uh, will admit that I can uh, correct myself right there. So, um, you know, what is that uh, well-known um, natural resource? Or, well, not so much natural resource, but um, cargo that the Fitzgerald's picking up left and right. Uh, she went to um, pick up... Uh, taconite iron ore pellets and sets and the ship herself set sail for Ashtabula, Ohio. And if any of y'all are wondering where Ashtabula is, that is east of Cleveland. It is not far from the Ohio Pennsylvania line. Uh, it is not far from uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, or let alone uh, West Middlesex. And I the reason I know this is through my uh, work in the trucking industry. Uh, West Middlesex, Pennsylvania is one of our big uh, brake bulk terminals, and uh, the terminal itself uh, services Ashtabula, as well as Fairport Harbor, Cano. Uh, these are uh, towns slash villages that are right on Lake Erie that are dependent upon uh, the ships um, for transporting cargo left and right. So the Fitzgerald really does get her way really knows how to get around uh, from all the Great Lakes besides uh, Superior. So as for, um, and it's basically, it's safe to say that the Fitzgerald herself is constantly moving on the go at all times. Um, she is a, what's called a straight decker ship. And I didn't know that there was such a thing as a straight decker ship, but I found this out. A decker ship is a ship that's built with its pilot house forward and engines aft. And what does aft mean? 
the after deck or the back that provides a continuous hold in between. Uh, so in other words, the Fitzgerald's not equipped with self-unloading machinery. Her cargo will have to be loaded manually. And while there are machines, those who are inspecting and doing all this loading in have to do it in a very arduous uh, process, which I'll get to here momentarily. I think it's essential to describe all of the um, essential components to this ship. I mean, after all, she's 729 feet long. She, I mean, other than the fact that she's the Titanic of the Great Lakes, we must remember that she is transporting cargo that's over 25,000 um, tons. So this ship is obviously setting lots of records left and right with just how much cargo she can uh, transport. And you want to make sure that you make good use with all this, because as I said in a previous podcast, if, if, if you're leaving a lot of extra space that's not being used for the ship, then what's the point in, in calling the ship the flagship of uh, Columbia Fleet through Ogle Bay Norton? I mean, there's a reason why the Edmund Fitzgerald is the flagship vessel. So here are some um, unique features about this ship. She had seven-ton hatch covers. And in case you're wondering what hatch covers are, they are large steel structures designed to prevent the entrance of water into the cargo hold. And the ship had 21 11 by 48-inch cargo openings running down its spar deck. Each opening was covered by a hatch cover, and each cover itself was fastened down to a combing by 68 clamps. 68 clamps, and that, that's a pretty amazing number of clamps. You know, if you don't secure these um, hatch covers properly, then yes, you're going to run the risk of having water um, flood into that cargo hold, and not just flood in, but could ruin the whole cargo and not just ruin the whole cargo, but cause um, major financial losses um, and unnecessary repairs that puts Ogle Bay Norton in the red. So what does combing mean? And that's spelled C-O-A-M-I-N-G. Combing is any vertical surface on a ship designed to deflect or let alone prevent entry of water in other words, it provides a frame on to which to fit a hatch cover. Now, the Fitzgerald's cargo hold, I thought this was very well worth um, investigating into, is divided into three sections, separated by screen bulkheads. Does anybody want to know what a bulkhead is? Well, bulkheads date back to the 16th, uh, actually to between the 15th and 16th century, when Europeans were uh, traveling around the world for um, exploration purposes. Matter of fact, they were the ones that came up with um, what we know as modern-day uh, bulkheads. A bulkhead basically is a wall from within a vessel that prevents cargo from shifting during passage. It's one thing to have cargo on your ship. 
but you've got to find a way to secure it. Otherwise, if you don't secure your cargo properly, it's going to um, it's going to either come apart. It's going to um, move around to the point where it could um, not just be damaged by itself, but it could uh, damage um, other. In the modern sense, being that I'm in the trucking industry, if people didn't, um, what do you call it? If uh, freight wasn't, if freight's not palletized, for example, then it has the potential to um, damage other people's freight while in transit. So, basically, bulkheads help cargo prevent cargo from um, from shifting. In other words, moving around left and right to the point where the cargo becomes not only a liability to itself but to other cargo that is. Um, placed in that same bulkhead. Of course, when I think of bulkheads, I often think of the Titanic. And the only reason I say that is because, is this, not to get off track here, but just to mention that the Titanic um, had about, I think, 12 bulkheads or what was known as watertight compartments. And the ship itself was designed to where four of those uh, watertight compartments or bulkheads flooded the ship itself would have been able to have stayed afloat, especially as we all know that it hit that iceberg in the North Atlantic. But historians also now know that if the, if the Titanic had just hit the iceberg straight on, she never would have sunk. But because she hit the iceberg with her starboard going left, more than four bulkheads um, or watertight compartments flooded, and what do you know, um, given that she was made of steel, and steel uh, weighs more than, say, aluminum, the steel gave way, and once the steel gave way, water flows left and right without any um, control. But anyways, back to our main subject, the Fitzgerald. Was distribution of cargo a critical component to the Fitzgerald's well-being when navigating around, around Great Lakes waters? Uh, the answer is yes. Had the Fitzgerald's cargo been unevenly distributed, the cargo itself could have placed too much stress on the ship's hull, or even worse, could potentially lead to cracking and ultimately the inevitable being the ship sinking. So, yes, it is essential to distribute the cargo properly. You know, we don't think of that stuff sometimes. It's easy to think that, oh, if cargo gets placed in whatever um, direction or um, open slot there is, everything will be okay. Well, ships have a mind of their own. And if, if we don't place the cargo properly, the ship is going to do things when we sometimes don't expect them to do so. So when you but when you think about a ship like the Fitzgerald being 729 feet long, yes, you do want to make sure that cargo is placed properly because her middle is so big that that's what could make or break the ship's um, well-being. So what does the whole of a ship refer to? The hull is the main body of a ship upon which the decks and superstructures are built. I didn't know about this term until I read the book a few years ago, but 
having reread it, reread what was necessary for tonight's podcast, um, has definitely made me gain better understanding of um, certain terminology. What does hogging refer to? Of course, we all we all think of hogging. We think of um, keeping something for ourselves and not sharing it with others. Well, that doesn't exist in terms of maritime terminology. Hogging in the maritime world refers to the following. The bending down of a ship's front and back sides with no support for the middle. A ship's middle, especially the Fitzgerald's, was heavily vulnerable if the ship itself were to become hogged while loading took place. The hull itself could become seriously damaged. So, if, as I said before, if cargo was not loaded properly, then the ship itself was going to um, was going to um, be severely impacted from its front and back. So think about it. When you are putting cargo on a ship this big, a al- proper alignment and logistical planning of how you're going to load that cargo in will make or break. And we're not just, I mean, it's either going to be for the better or it's going to be for the worse. What does bow mean? I'm not talking bowing down to someone else. In the maritime world, the ship's bow is the front or the forward section. As for the stern, it's the opposite. It's the back or the after section of a ship. Well, let's just let's sum this up right here. I probably should have said it a moment ago, but I'm going to say it now. Poor loading has been responsible for causing countless vessels to break apart in shallow docking waters which contributed to unprecedented damage and delays. As for the Fitzgerald, she had uh, she had escaped these kinds of mishaps in terms of um, lo- in terms of being exempt from poor loading. What are bins or what's known as pockets? Well, we're not talking recycle bins here, people. But we are, but we can refer to bins or pockets as this. They contain up to 100 to 300 tons of taconite pellets. The pellets travel to the ship's hatches by chutes, which were lowered from pockets to ship. It turns out that there were 187 chutes on the Burlington Northern Dock. That's a lot of chutes. If all went well with loading the Fitzgerald, the loading process in general of the, for the Fitzgerald could take five to six hours. For a ship that's 729 feet long, yeah, this isn't something that's going to take one hour. Five to six hours. And think about it, it's not just loading the cargo onto the ship. The inspectors have to come. Uh, dock personnel have to... Pardon me, people... <laughs> They have to do everything there is essential to inspect the ship to make sure that, hey, when she leaves out of their dock, that she is leaving on good terms. The last thing nobody wants to have happen is to be held liable 
in terms of neglecting a ship's safety. So you want to make sure that you are properly uh, being held accountable before doing something that in turn would backfire. Where often did the Fitzgerald pick up taconite from in terms of a port in terms of port? She often would pick up taconite from Silver Bay, Minnesota. So therefore coming into a to do a pickup in Superior wasn't a normal route for these kinds of purposes. What are uh, draft markings? Draft markings are the depth of a ship's hull beneath the waterline. What are trim lights? Trim lights are on a ship's stern deckhouse that would reveal if any listing were to take place while freight was being loaded. What happens when a ship is, or rather I should say, what is the term for when a ship is leaning or tipping to one side? It's referred to as list, a list or what's known as listing. And oftentimes if a ship is known to be listing, it could be because cargo was not uh, properly uh, loaded. If cargo is placed on, if too much cargo got placed on one side of a ship, then yes, a ship could have um, potential to list um, as a result of um, too much stress being placed on that one particular side where it's um, listing. Now, uh, what about, um, you know, I didn't know about this, but there are, before I talk about lights, that is red, green, and white lights, the port of a, ship is, of a ship is the left side when facing the bow. Now, as for the red light, if the Edmund Fitzgeralds had what was called a red light, that was where the ship itself was tilting to its port side, being the left side of the ship facing the bow. If it was a green light, it indicated a starboard list. White light, the ship was leveled. In other words, it was evenly leveled out. So this is a very uh, unique um, codified system with red, green, and white lights. Think of it as like stoplights on the road. Red to stop, yellow for caution, green means go. What was the length and width of the Fitzgerald's cargo hold? This is a pretty impressive number. The, fit, the length of the Fitzgerald's cargo hold was 500 feet, 500 feet long. As for her width, it was 30 feet wide. Hatches are the openings in the ship's spar deck through which cargo is loaded. Each of the Fitzgerald's hatches accepted full 300-ton load. But the process itself was very time-consuming. Is a tight seal essential? Okay, we're going to find out why. Yes, without a tight seal, water itself can, can't be pumped out of a filled cargo hold. Water in the cargo hold 
meant loss of freeboard, which could result in loss of buoyancy. Now, we, we know what buoyant means. It means you can float freely on the water. That is, a ship can float freely. But as for a freeboard, that is the distance between the waterline and spar deck. As for the spar deck, that is the deck where the ship's hatches are located. Well, here's another um, interesting question I'm going to throw out at, throw out at you all, rather. Did taconite pellets themselves present a problem? I, most of us would think no, but I hate to say this, the answer is yes. These pellets were very heavy. They were about 127 to 140 pounds per cubic foot and very absorbent. If cargo flooded pellets, if the cargo itself flooded, the pellets would take on 8 to 9 pounds of water per cubic foot. So, if these pellets get soaked with water, the whole, what do you call it, the whole um, process is doomed. You know, not just for the ship, but for where the cargo is going to, the customer is going to lose out as well. So, the bottom line is, these taconite pellets are very delicate. I mean, you know, when you're putting natural resources on a, on a freighter, or not just a freighter, but a, a laker. Yeah, this is, this is a big deal because people are dependent upon the goods coming to them, but they want them to be coming to them in um, an excellent condition. I don't think customers have time to file claims for damaged goods. Now, how many ballast tanks did the Fitzgerald have? The answer is eight. These ballast tasks, ballast tanks, pardon me, <laughs> if I could speak, that'd be great. They are found on the sides and below the cargo hold. Now, what are ballast tanks? They are large, watertight storage tanks below the cargo hold. They are located on the starboard and port sides of a ship where ballast is stored. Now, ballast is what's referred to as added weight or lake water which helps lower the ship in the water and adds stability. When the Fitzgerald sailed without cargo, the weight of water added stability in the waves. So what's interesting here is that the Edmund Fitzgerald came to uh, this dock in Superior, Wisconsin, being the um, Burlington Northern Railroad dock, with no cargo. She came full of um, ballast. Well, before any of this cargo can be loaded on, is the ballast going to have to be um, removed? Yes. And what is that term known as? Deballasting. It is a very essential part of the loading process. Deballasting itself is the process of pumping or expelling water from a ship's ballast tanks. Each ballast tank had two air vent pipes rising from the tank to the deck. The vents were open to drain out air before pumps were turned on. The Fitz was equipped with four electric ballast pumps capable of discharging 7,000 gallons of water per minute. Two auxiliary pumps were also put in to handle up to 2,000 gallons a minute.
Wow, this, this ship, um, to be able to have four electric ballast pumps that are capable of discharging 7,000 gallons of water per minute, that is, um, that's beyond um, amazing. Now, what's important about October 31st of 1975? The Fitzgerald suffered minor damage to four of its hatches. It was, while it was non-serious, the Coast Guard still cleared the ship for the rest of the 1975 shipping season, with repairs to come before the, the 1976 season. Well, despite a good safety history record, I hate to say this, but the Edmund Fitzgerald herself did run into some mishaps from previous years. In 1969, her, the ship grounded near the Sioux Locks, causing major structural damage up around the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. In September of 1970, as well as May 1973 and June 1974, the Fitzgerald herself hit the walls at the Sioux Locks, resulting in light damage. Well, you know, no ship is perfect, and all ships are going to have their moments where they're going to um, experience um, an accident or something that uh, can result in some form of structural damage. Is it possible that with even with these minor incidents that, that it could only be a matter of time before the Fitzgerald could run into a situation that um, could make or break for her safety not just uh, running into something, but perhaps it could be for weather-related. It's, it's very possible. But there is some unique news to mention, though. Back in 1969, the ship had, de had a diesel-powered bow thruster, that is. The ship had diesel-powered bow thruster installed. This mechanism, being another propeller mounted below the waterline near the bow of the ship, improved maneuverability and power for when the ship left the harbor. For the Fitzgerald, a bow thruster, or I should say a bow thruster, reduced the need for tugboat assistance out of the harbor. So remember, for many of these ships, they uh, these big Laker ships, they, most of them tended to rely on tugboats, but because the Fitzgerald had diesel-powered bow thruster installed, this would reduce the need for tugboat assistance in and out of the harbor. And in 1971, during the 1971-1972 winter layup, the Fitzgerald became, uh, convert, became converted. In other words, the ship itself went from coal to oil, and that's pretty revolutionary right there. The boiler systems were upgraded that allowed for overall operations to be cleaner, safer, and more efficient. So despite some mishaps between 1969 and 1970, 73, and 74, the Fitzgerald is still in the prime of her um, life. And as I mentioned earlier from another podcast, uh, Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company is um, purchasing ships that will be good for about 25 years. So here the Fitzgerald went out on her first um, trip in 1958, and here she is in 1975. She's 17 years old. She hasn't hit the 20-year mark yet, but she is still in the prime 
of her um, existence. Well, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, and I look forward to another podcast session here soon. But I do believe it's very important to know all the ins and outs of this ship. Maybe not every detail has to be covered, but there are a lot of things that do, because this is no ordinary um, ship. Given that she is the grandest of the of the ships in the Great Lakes, and being, I should say, the Titanic of the Great Lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald has to be um, looked after very carefully, just like the other ships. But all it's all it could take is one little mistake in the cargo hold, with not that is not properly loading the cargo, and when that happens, the anything can happen in terms of the inevitable: a ship listing, a ship hogging. You name it. So the bottom line is you can't assume anything. You don't want to take any risks, period. Well, folks, uh, that's all for tonight. Uh, Stay safe and take care.